and this will be real short. Uh, Tuesday morning at 10.22, this little man was given to our family. And uh, our, we have a family thread that goes uh, running over on, on the phone. And um, so we first were sent a picture at 6 a.m. They were at the hospital. They went. So they check in at 6. And then uh, we were a little surprised. At 10.05, he's, uh, uh, this little man's father, if you want to know what he looks like, he looks just like that right there. You know? <laughs> Dane texted us, and he said, uh, it's go time. And uh, seven pushes, and 22 minutes later, the baby's born. It was made quick work of this. But uh, thank God for this blessing. And uh, Andy and I are grateful. And it was a, it was a, that was a good thing this week. I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. I had to show you the picture. <laughs> Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hear the word of the Lord. Is there a solution to our nagging sense that we are less than what we ought to be? That thought that we have that we're just not measuring up. By the way, where does that thought come from? Why those preoccupations that are negative and take a dark view of ourselves? We're just not who we ought to be. Where did we ever get the idea that we are falling short of a standard that exists apart from us and outside of ourselves? You know, if you didn't know better, it's almost as if Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, was emblazoned across our conscience. And every once in a while, our conscience just reminded us of what is true. What if our feelings of estrangement from ourselves and even of each other are actually right on time and true measures of where we actually are before a God who is holy? In an age that we find ourselves in, worshiping self, there's been a diminished appreciation for all of the glory that's in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, and we are there this morning. Let's reshape our vision along biblical lines. Let's open God's book and revisit the freedom and the glory and the wonder of knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and walking with Him in life. Again, Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hear the word of the Lord. To study this verse this morning, let's see it in its context. This time word is striking. There is therefore, here's the time word, now. What kind of a now? He has spoken of a now before in the book of Romans in verse 321. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. He has been talking and discussing the Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter to these people who are followers of Jesus, living in Rome in the first century. 
He's been talking about the law in Romans chapter 3. By the works of the law, no human being will be justified or declared to be righteous in his sight. That's God's sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, he argues, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. When? With the coming of Jesus. So, but now the righteousness of the law has been manifest. Here we go with another. Therefore, now, no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, what he does is he starts into chapter 8, is he gathers up the threads of the arguments from Romans 3, Romans 4, Romans 5, Romans 6, and Romans 7. And he gathers those threads up, and he says, now... In light of looking retrospectively back on all that we've argued, now it is different because of Jesus. And we have the opportunity in knowing him to come to possess a righteous standing that is given to us as a gift when we believe in Christ. So structurally, that's what's going on. And this chapter is really cool. It begins, there's no condemnation. It ends in verse 39, there's no separation. Nothing will separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So between those two peaks, there's a lot of glorious stuff for us to absorb. But we really need to lay hold of right at the beginning, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. And that's our plan of attack this morning. Remember Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. In Adam, sin came and sin passed upon Adam's race. So there's a whole mass of people who stand with our forefather Adam in condemnation. But the second Adam has come. And that's Jesus Christ, who's established a new race. And all who come for refuge and belief in him form a new humanity that while the first Adam's humanity stands condemned, the second Adam's humanity, this is Romans chapter 5, stands apart from condemnation. In fact, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you have to pick a line to be in, this line is a line of condemnation before God in Adam, and this in Christ Jesus line is the line to be in. It's the invitation of the good news about Jesus and the glory of the gospel. Come to him, because in him there is therefore now no condemnation. So that's what's before us this morning. Now, we're going to go three different directions. First, we'll talk about how old habits are hard to die, and we've got this habit of hiding, and it's a hard one to kill. Uh, The second part of the message, we will look at this word now. A sea change has happened. While Adam was a progenitor of a race, and we're all born into Adam, we feel it yet in our flesh. Remember the presence of indwelling sin? That's Romans chapter 7. Adam's race plunged headlong away from God into condemnation. But God sent Jesus, and now it is different. We'll look at the now part 
in the second part. And then thirdly, Eric, why does this matter? Why stop and look at just one verse this morning that begins this great chapter? Because there's so much here, and there are three takeaways that we must sit next to our heart and our conscience and our mind and let it throttle how we live in this week. Number one, Adam's children have had to cover themselves for millennia. The passage that we looked at this morning in Genesis 3 says this, and it has to be one of the lamest verses in uh, the Bible or, or, or a description of something very lame in Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. What was their response? And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then they decided they'd hide out in the garden. We, we, we've, we've had this long habit of trying to hide from God. Fig leaves, loincloths, use whatever we want to use. Because none of us want to be exposed Indeed, exposed before the judge of all the earth. And and think of it, how ridiculous it is to harbor the notion that what we're going to do is we're going to hide from God. (laughs) There was a church that finished a really nice auditorium. They had worked hard to get it built, cooperated together. And they were looking forward to that first day. And the contractor told them, we're going to be in it this day. And so they planned a huge bash. And one of the things that they were really proud of was their baptistry. And it jetted out onto the stage area. And it was fully glass in all of its sides and its bottom. Or lucite, whatever it's made out of. I don't know. Well, anyway, as they got to this Sunday that they had announced that everybody was looking forward to, and they invited people, the contractor alerted them and said, you know, we've discerned that we're behind on the pert line, and we're not going to be done by the time you get there. And they thought... Oh, no, we've got to go forward. We've planned on this. We have these baptismal candidates ready. Uh, There's something we must do. And they said, well, everything's almost done except the facade along the front. And they said, hey, look, let's just put up some partition. Let's get some curtains. Just temporarily put it up. We've got to go forward to this service. This is going to be a great service. And so they did. And so they, they just put curtains up, and it happened to be next to the baptistry in front of the service and they had all the curtains up and partitioned. Everything looked fine. They got in. Oh, what a joyful morning it was. And there was that first candidate for baptism, a gentleman. And he was baptized. And he went up. And the changing room happened to be right above the baptistry, just up the stairs and across in a doorway. And the curtains were there. And everything was, was modest. And it was fine. The second candidate was joyfully baptized. And all everything was going really, really well. And right in a moment where the gentleman who went first was in a very vulnerable position as he changed his clothes. The second candidate tripped coming out of the baptistry. Now, some of you are just a little bit ahead of me, but uh, on the way down to grab a hold of the rail, they grabbed a handful of that partition. And the, the partitions, as it was set up, were kind of all dominoed together, where if one fell, the whole thing fell. And so, on the way down, the, whole, the pole came down, and voila, there is that man in the middle of a vulnerable position changing his clothes. Now, Flummox, in the middle of the moment, he was trying to figure out what to do, so he decides, I'll just jump back down in the tank. So he jumps down into the tank, he's there, and when he jumped back down the tank, the poor preacher had the duty to tell him, dear one, this is a glass baptistry. It was absolutely of no help. 
And he ran up the stairs and found covering. And somehow they got through the rest of the morning. Truly one of the most memorable baptismal services that the church ever had. Now that would have been terrible. I don't know if the church ever saw that guy again. That part of the story I've never received. But none of us like to be put in a position where we are vulnerable before others. Uh, To be naked before the living God in our sin is a horrible position to be in. It's super worse than being embarrassed in a moment where some wags pulled the partition down as you were changing your clothes. There is a moral nuance to that nakedness in Genesis chapter 3. There's a way that seems right to man, but there's in there of the ways of death. It seemed like the way to go to depart from what God had asked them to do. And so Adam and Eve went their own way. It didn't turn out too good. And as soon as they started down this course of making their own choices about how to live, choices away from God, they were struck with how vulnerable they were and realized that they were naked. And their fig leaves, their loincloths, were an attempt to save themselves from this nakedness. And then they hid from God. Of course, all hiding from God, as we said, is a ridiculous proposition. When God said, Adam, where are you? He wasn't seeking information that he didn't know. He was trying to awake in Adam's heart a realization of where he was. It's a gracious thing when God pursues us. It's a gracious thing when God, pursue, when God identifies our sin to us. All of us think we're way okay. We've sewed some fig leaves together of, you know, I'm better than my neighbor and help, you know, I, I, I watch the dog. My neighbor goes on vacation, try to be nice to the lady at work. And, I, 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 I'm, I'm, you know, percentage-wise, I'm, I'm pretty good. I, I always try to do unto others. This, uh, these are fig leaves. The accumulation of a lifetime of that will never make us acceptable before God. In fact, Jeremiah said something that's stunning. He said, all your acts of self-righteous fig leaves are as filthy rags before the Lord. Wow. We're always trying to hide. Our son and his wife and little boy visited my mother when she was in the rehab place. And he became fascinated with a little... Um, stuffed animal that at one point was holding up a helium balloon. The helium balloon had uh, lost all moxie and they threw it in the trash and that, that little uh, stuffed animal was up there in the wall and he wanted to get to it and he's, he's two years old and has an iron will and he's just as sweet as honey but he's impervious to you know, boundaries. And uh, so they were trying to fence him in in the room. They were trying to be careful. He didn't touch his grandmother and you know that get on her legs or something. So they're herding him in and, and he's had enough hurting, and so he wants to get to that. And he, he tries once, and they say, no, don't go, stay in this part. You don't want to get over next to them all and hurt like, try this part. And so he, he devised a plan. He closed his eyes, and he walked across the room over to that stuffed animal. Because we can only understand that he reckoned that, well, if I close my eyes, they won't see me. <laughs> so it is with our hiding from God. You know, if I... I, if I and you know what? 
one amazing place where people hide from God is at a gospel church like this in coming to worship. Um, I love the fact that God has already this morning searched us and knows us. He knows every heart. Um, I scarce can understand my own heart. He knows everyone and he works. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad you're here even if you're hiding from God because in the midst of hiding from God, you know what Adam and Eve discovered? Adam and Eve discovered something about God that they never knew and that was how gracious and pursuing he was of them notwithstanding their sin. Adam's children have had to cover themselves for millennia. Now, secondly, now, now, it can be different. There is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. After Jesus, things have now changed. You see, he had to work through the argument until he got to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. He's been talking about the glories of this gospel announcement. God will give you the free gift of righteousness if you just acknowledge your sin, turn away from your sin, and with the hands of your heart, that's what faith is, receive the free gift of salvation. And it's a gift when received that begins to take hold of our lives as we yield ourselves to Christ. This is the glory of the gospel. But he's had to unpack it he couldn't say Romans 8, 1 at 1, 1. He had to wait to describe how we ever got here. But now, after the advent of Jesus, now that he has come, after Good Friday, after Easter, there is, therefore, now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say there's no condemnation to everyone who has ever lived at all times. No, he puts a fence around the lot. There are boundaries. There is therefore now no condemnation. And by the way, the gate to the lot could not be wider. Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, and you shall find, and isn't this what we all need, rest for your souls. Come to Christ. But it is only people in that lot, in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Now, what we will do next week, if the Lord allows us to be together, and it's the perfect week, the, the Sunday that begins Passion Week, we'll look at these next few verses, including verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That in our human flesh, that Christ took up in the incarnation and laid down on the cross, in that act, he condemned sin in the flesh. He dismantled it. We'll be there next week. The means through which we are brought to no condemnation now, the manner that God chose to use to bring us to no condemnation before a God who is holy, notwithstanding our sin, is through Jesus Christ, who took up our flesh and condemned sin in the flesh. New possibilities came with Jesus. Now it is different. 
There's a whole class of people now for whom there is no condemnation nor need of covering. Adam's folk, in Adam, sin entered and death came and was passed upon the human race. In Christ, the gift of righteousness came and is given to everyone who will believe, everyone who will receive Christ as Savior, everyone who is relying upon Jesus Christ. Remember the Puritan alphabet? I've told you it before. They taught theology as they taught them the alphabet. They got right to the matter with the letter A. A is for Adam. In Adam all die. And that's what the book of Romans teaches. But it doesn't end the teaching there. It argues that after Bethlehem, after Good Friday, after Easter Sunday, now there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. That's the crowd we want to be in. The in Christ Jesus crowd. Those living in union with Christ. Remember him talking about that in Romans 6, 13? Union with Christ. By faith we are joined with Christ. Through baptism in this picture, we become brought into Christ's family in that picture symbolized in baptism. In the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ came and everyone who believes in him is made alive. The curse of sin is resolved in the person of Jesus Christ. Again, back to Joy to the World as a song. We sing it at Christmas. It's a song about the second advent and what's going to be. No more let sin and sorrow reign, nor thorns infest the ground. He is coming to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. And we are released from that condemnation the curse of sin which brought death in the person of Jesus Christ and in our belief in him. That's freedom from guilt. Is anybody for that? I am. I need that. But it's also freedom from the enslaving power of sin, this dogged indwelling sin that inhabits our flesh. We're given in Christ. It's going to talk about it. The Spirit of God has not been mentioned much. The word Spirit shows up 21 times in Romans chapter 8. Now it's different. Now Christ's Spirit has come to us as we've received Him. We join Martin Luther King in saying, free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty we're free at last. Now why does Romans 8 chapter 1 make a difference? What are the benefits of such a standing before God? May I highlight three benefits to you this morning. Number one, gospel Christianity promises a cleansed conscience which is unencumbered by the burden of I've done something wrong or God could never accept me. Again, we have this nagging suspicion that we don't have the right stuff. And our suspicions are warranted. God cannot accept us like we are. Because all of us, not just some of us, all of us are included in that class of people who are separated from God because of our sin. But that's not the end of the story. But you can't appreciate the story until you get that far into the story. Because it's in the realization of our sin that we see the beauty of Jesus. And not until... Because if we don't need to be saved, 
do be delivered, why would we want a savior or a deliverer? But if we cannot use our fig leaves of self-righteousness to find acceptance before a God who is holy and pure and without sin altogether, then we need a savior and we need one and there is one. And now after his advent, after the perfections of his life, after the certainty of his promise, after the sufficiency of his death, after the glory of his resurrection, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. There's a glory there that's amazing. The thoughts and the feelings that we have that we don't have the right stuff, they originate in the fact that we don't have the right stuff. Those feelings are in fact warranted. We weren't built to live apart from Christ. And his grace invites us to live in Christ and live with Christ at work. And then we have that nagging, prosecuting attorney always accusing us. Satan called in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, the accuser, definite article. The accuser, the central prosecutor is Satan, always with his fiery darts. You're a sinner. You are failing Christ. I know who you really are. You know who you really are. You're trying to hide who you really are from others. What about that word? What about that gesture? What about that thought? You are a sinner, constantly accusing us. Think of Job 1. He's up there messing with God about Job. Oh, the only reason Job's following you is because you've just showered him with blessing. He's the accuser. But there's somebody sitting at the table that's piling on to the accusation. Our son is a lawyer. For years, he was involved in higher level litigation, which means the court and filing motions and writing briefs and uh, seeking injunctions and seeking rulings and judgments. And he was writing and always involved in the court and not often do things actually get to trial. They're often settled before then. Litigation's real expensive, and there are a number of reasons why. But anyway, he called me one day. He said, Dad, I'm going to be second chair. I go, what? I'm going to be second chair. Now, in the band, you always want to be first chair. You didn't want to be second chair. You know, I thought, well, what's second chair? I don't even know what that is. He said, well, this case is going to trial. I said, oh, is it really? Yeah. And I'm going to sit right next to the key guy. He's the first chair, and I'm the second chair. And I'll be handing him papers and we'll be commiserating over how the trial's going. And we're going to trial. By the way, they, they went up against a lawyer from the other side who had real long hair. He looked like Fabio. And he, <laughs> and he flipped his hair like this. And all the women in the jury loved him and they lost the case. But that, that doesn't relate to this. <laughs> the second chair. You know who sits at the second chair next to the accuser of our soul? It's us. And we're always condemning ourselves. If Satan says, you're a sinner, we say, you know, it's right. We are. I'm, I'm a loser. I'm, I'm less than. Other people are better. They're don't, you know, and, and I'm, I, and we join Satan in accusing ourselves. I got up one morning to walk. I walk in the mornings. And the street was filled with black SUVs. I thought, that's different. And there's a bunch of men walking up and down our street, and I thought, that's different. 
and they're dressed and got some coats on, but, and, and, and some of them are hustling, and, um, you know, you could, some of them put their badge on the inside pocket of their coat, you know, so you, you, it's like, what in the world's going on? So then, you know, Curious George, you know, Barney Fife's walking out there saying, hey, what's going on? What's going on? I got nothing. Oh, we're just, we're together this morning. Oh, you know, what's going on? And they were focused on one house. So I went on with a walk, and I'd come back, and there were a few other cars there. And after a while, it was back in, I don't know, several years back, and, and uh, then uh, they started taking assets out of the house, digital assets, computers, hard drives, that kind of stuff. Couldn't figure out what was going on. Then I left, and I had a, a whole day of activity, good day that God had set before me. And I got back later in the evening, and um, the neighbors over there waving me down. So, and I look, and in the driveway of the street, there's a coach from a funeral home. And uh, my neighbor said, I, I think somebody died. Um, by the way, I, I sought to make an acquaintance of this individual. And I visited him in the hospital. I remember I, I said, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? And he almost swallowed his tongue. You know, I don't, I don't think anybody had ever prayed for him. It's really, really far away. And I don't do everything right. It was, just, it was an interesting exchange in that moment. But uh, he... He felt like he was exposed for activity that he was involved in from which there was no way out. So he took his life at the end of that day. There is therefore now a way, a person to come to. We don't have to Resolve, and it doesn't resolve it at all. Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem that can all be resolved in Jesus Christ. Our guilt, our despair, our pain, our suffering can be brought and just laid down at Jesus' feet. Dave Jeremiah said what's true. The believer's judgment day is behind him. It's not before us. That's Good Friday. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's one of the sweetest words. One of my favorite things in pastoral ministry is when we finish the Lord's table to quote that verse to you because it's true. And I need it. And I need the reminder. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Secondly, we are most ourselves when we live in peace and union with Christ. Romans 5, therefore being declared righteous by faith in Christ, we have peace with God. Oh, wow, peace with God. We need peace with God. Romans 6, 13, we have the delight of living now by faith in union with Jesus Christ in partnership and life with him. He's taken our sin upon himself. We take his righteousness in this extraordinary gift that we are given when we believe on him. 
We are most ourselves. We are most human when we live in peace and union with Jesus Christ. We were not built to be at odds with God and to be estranged from God and to be hiding from God and to be running from God. Is that you this morning? This is back to C.S. Lewis who said, and I've told you this before, I just love it. It makes sense to me. It's true. As a gasoline engine was designed by the designer to run on gasoline, so our lives are designed to run on our relationship with God. And when we try to run them, and we are really, 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 really good at trying to run them on everything else in Western culture, when we try to run them on something else, the engine sputters. And it doesn't work like it was designed to work. And we say, what's wrong with my life? We are most ourselves when we live in peace and union with Jesus Christ. We feel lost apart from relating to God as he designed us to relate. We fill that void with all kinds of stuff. None of it works. So the question this morning is, have you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has God brought you here this morning to realize that your fig leaves are not going to pass muster on the great day when you stand before God and give an account for how you live with all the rest of us? But all to approach God not as facing a judge, but with a grateful heart, coming before our Savior who loved us and gave himself for us, who in his body took our condemnation, that's our hell, the punishment of what we deserve, so that we could have his life. And that in believing in him, we are given this status of being declared righteous. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. If you've never received Christ as your Savior, why not this morning, here, right now? You accept what God says about you and me that is true, that is, we are sinners and have followed Adam out of the garden thinking our own way was right and broken the law of God in thought or word or deed. And then we accept what is said and we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive him as our Savior. We quit trusting in our fig leaves of self-righteousness and recognize that in the provision now that God has offered in Christ, he can be known. And in believing, we commit our lives to Jesus Christ. Is that you this morning? Is God swinging open the door of your heart to come to believe in him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If God is opening your heart, how we'd love to talk to you. If it's easier for you by appointment this week, hey, we're wide open to that. Finally, the tender heart of those hungering for righteousness needs the safe haven of this glorious affirmation. Am I the only one that runs to Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 and finds great encouragement? I need this verse. And God has given it to us. Think of Romans or Matthew 5, 6, in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Any hungerers and thirsters here this morning? If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you get through Romans chapter 7 and feel the presence of indwelling sin and you say to yourself, wow. I might hunger, but I don't feel like I'm realizing too much of what I'm hungering for. And we run to Romans 8.1 for solace, for encouragement, for assurance, 
for hope. Sure, there's stress in the battle with indwelling sin. But some walk around convinced that God is mad at them in the face of indwelling sin. They can even feel estranged from God. I love what John Calvin said when he said, The trembling consciences of the godly have an invisible fortress. For they know that while they abide in Christ, they are beyond every danger of condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Horatio Spafford said this, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious state. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Where did he ever get that? How about, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. We need that. And God provided it in Jesus Christ. Now. That's our state for everyone who is in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 is a graveyard where we take the nagging memory of our past sin. It's the place where we go bury our past imperfect. The name of the Lord is a strong tower where the righteous run in and are safe. We have come to Yahweh Sitkanu, the Lord our righteousness. And he has given it to us, this righteous standing. So here we abide in the shelter of this great name and glory in this status now of no, zero, Z, condemnation. A free conscience, settled peace, a tendered heart, sheltered safe, our lives hidden with Christ in God. What a Savior. What a Lord. We're back to Egypt and the Passover lamb. Where judgment was going to fall upon the land, the people of God were there, but were promised. If you will sacrifice the Passover lamb and take the blood of the sacrifice and put it on the doorpost of your door, as the judgment of God passes over, the angel of death will see the blood and pass over your house and you shall live. What's on the doorpost of your heart? And your mind and your conscience. What about our doubts? There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, how do you want the word of God to shape our lives today? Awaken in us a greater appreciation for the glory of such a deliverer. You have given us such an extraordinary gift in righteousness. Thank you. What a great Savior we have in Jesus who now has changed our status before you. We've gone from the condemnation of Adam's children into the glorious state of being apart from condemnation in Jesus Christ. For those, Lord, who have a hunger in their heart to know you and have never come to saving faith in you, may today be the morning that you, not unlike what you did to Lydia, you open their hearts so that they can believe.
And in this moment of response as we sing, hear their prayer. For those who are living in doubt and carry the nagging suspicion, they've believed in Christ, but they've not fully understood the gospel, so they carry the sense that you're mad at them, that you're estranged from them. Oh, Lord, sing a song of love over them this morning and remind them that in your dear son, there's nothing between our soul and our Savior. That our judgment day was Good Friday. Thank you. Lord, drive that home. Help us remind the accuser of our soul and ourselves good at accusing us that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Thank you. We sing to you with a grateful heart. We sing to you with a responsive heart. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.